On today's show, the three deadly sins of summer selling. Before we roll in today's show, if you're not signed up for any events, whether that's in person or virtual, take a look at the event calendar at events.mycontractuniversity.com and get signed up. All right, let's get going with today's show featuring yours truly, Weldon Long. We are going to kick off a two-part series on the three deadly sins of summertime selling. Take it away, me, Weldon. Welcome everybody to the special Contract University broadcast of the three deadly sins of summertime selling. And I will tell you folks, I've been doing this for a long, long time uh, in the residential heating and air conditioning business. I opened my first company back in 2004 and ended up owning about five or six different plumbing and HVAC companies and sold those in 2010. Um, uh, since then, and actually before then, but since then full-time training and speaking and helping other contractors develop their business. Uh, however, when COVID hit and there wasn't much training and speaking going on because nobody was traveling, including yours truly, I decided to open up another heating and air conditioning company here in Colorado Springs where I live. And we're in our third year this year and uh, we're budgeted. We're right on pace for $10 million. So I tell you all that to tell you this, the information I'm going to share with you is what I've learned in my own companies. Uh, I've trained thousands of service technicians and comfort advisors. I've worked with hundreds upon hundreds of companies, helping them grow revenue, increase margins. Uh, some are getting ready to sell. Some want to uh, just uh, turn their company into an ATM. Either way, I've been doing this for a long, long time. So what I tell you today is what I've learned from the mean streets of our industry. And yes, I do speak and write in other industries, but this is the industry I come from. And in fact, everything I know about making money, everything I know about building business, pretty much everything I know about everything, I've learned at the kitchen table across from mom and pop home on. So I'm going to talk to you today about some things I've noticed that happened in the summer, right? There are some very unique uh, pitfalls that we face in the summertime that really you know, don't apply at other times of the year. And as I've been working with companies, and by the way, uh, a lot of what I'm gonna talk about today is from this book here, Consistency Selling. If you have any questions about what we talk about, uh, if you want a copy of the book, feel free to send me an email to Weldon at WeldonLong.com. We can continue this conversation. Uh, a lot of what, I, in fact, everything I'm gonna talk about is also available through you in virtual training through the EGA Contractor University website. Dave will talk about some of that stuff, how you can get some access to that. So let's just dive right into the three deadly sins. The first thing you got to understand, uh, I'm going to talk to you about each of the three problems, and then I'm going to give you solutions to each of the three problems. So I'm not just going to say, watch out for this. I'm going to tell you what the problem is and what you can do about it. And the very first problem that we face in the summer, and it's fairly obvious, is that our people start running too many leads. Now you might say, well, wait a second. It is what it is. I can't do anything about that. I'm going to show you what you can do about it in a minute, but first I wanna talk about the problem. We let them run too many leads in the summertime. Now to understand this conversation, you have to under, understand a concept that we refer to as revenue per lead. You know, you've got your, your average close rate and you've got your average uh, ticket and the combination of those two things uh, create revenue per lead. And here's what I mean. Let's say I send a comfort advisor out on 10 leads and they sell four of those for 10,000 a piece, just for easy math. That means they put up $40,000 on 10 leads. That means their average revenue per lead is the 40,000 divided by the 10, which obviously is $4,000 revenue per lead. In my estimation, when I'm working with companies, when I'm working with comfort advisors, revenue per lead is the single most important number because it kind of blends in your close rate with your average ticket. 
Obviously, you have to know close rate and average ticket also because weaknesses and close rate can mean one thing. Weaknesses in the average ticket can mean something else. So in my company, for example, we target as a revenue per lead of $5,000. And that's about average across the country. It's a little bit higher in some areas like Southern California. It's a little bit higher because just things are more expensive. On the East Coast, there's uh, in the Northeast in particular, there's areas where it's really things are more expensive. But 5,000 revenue per lead is a really good number. That means if you give a comfort advisor 10 leads that week, you should expect $50,000 in revenue. So it's, it's a really good measure. But here's the problem. Here's where you got to really understand what happens when people get too busy. When we start running tons and tons of leads, yes, our overall revenue increases. Uh, let's say, for example, you're doing half a million a month in the slow season, and you get into the summertime, and you're doing 700,000, 800,000. Yes, overall revenue is higher because we're running a lot more leads. But if you really delve into the numbers and watch revenue per lead, what we see almost every single company I've ever worked with and my own and others is that revenue per lead tends to decrease in the summer. In other words, if you give a guy 10 leads in the slow season, and let's say his revenue per lead is $5,000, and he comes in and he, and he brings in 50,000. And now all of a sudden you give him 15 leads in the summer, and guess what? Maybe he's bringing in 70,000, but the revenue per lead is way less. And so this is one of the deadly mistakes that we make is we stop measuring revenue per lead. We just get distracted by the big number. And yes, of course, the big number gets bigger because you're running more leads. But you've got to make sure you're maintaining the revenue per lead so that you get the most out of the summertime selling season, right? If you want to maximize your revenue uh, during the selling season, I want to maintain my revenue per lead. I'm going to show you how to do that here in a second. But it's really important because if I'm, if I'm running 5,000 revenue per lead in the slower season, when I've when I, I got less, you know, uh, less of a, uh, a busy schedule, a, a, less, a less busy schedule, and I'm running 15 leads in the summertime, I want to make sure I'm still maintaining my 5,000 revenue per lead, right? Because if I'm running, if I'm running 10 leads, I put up 50 grand, and then I run 15 leads, I only put up 12 grand or, or 60 grand, well, then my revenue per lead is down to 4,000. If I really want to get the most out of it, I got to run 5,000 revenue per lead on all 15 leads, and that gives me my 75,000. So you've really got to make sure that you don't get distracted by just overall being busy. It's critically important that we have to make sure that we, we, we maintain revenue per lead. So how do we do that? Well, we're going to talk about a couple of different ways. But one of the most important things that I do in my companies, and I, I try to implement in any company that I go to, you have to cross-train managers and other people in your organization to run leads. You need to have a backup. You need to have relief pitchers that can come in and throw a couple of innings, right? So I'm going to take my service manager. I'm going to take my sales manager, of course. Uh, in some companies, if the operations manager has the skills, uh, me as an owner, I'm going to make sure I've got three or four people in my company prepared to run leads when it gets crazy. Why? Because I want to make sure that my sales team maintains their revenue per lead on their 10 leads. And I'll take those other five and maybe I'll have my service manager run a couple of that week and my and my my service our service tech. If you got service techs that you can cross train, you've got to make sure there's some relief valve when you go into the busy seasons. Because let's face it, if we staffed our sales teams to be what they should be during the summer, what would be really overstaffed for other parts of the year? Correct. So we want to make sure that we're staffed, you know, for the slower times and we're not overstaffed. But that means the summertime we're going to get busy. And in order to make sure that we don't lose money. In other words, we don't lose productivity by decreasing revenue per lead. We have to make sure we're not 
uh, just killing our people and having them run too many leads. Number one, they'll be exhausted. We all know that during the summer. But number two, our productivity, our sales productivity is decreasing because yes, I'm generating more money, but I'm generating less revenue per lead. And honestly, sales effectiveness, sales productivity, revenue per lead is the single most important thing to me. It's the only way you can really maximize the opportunity in the summertime selling. So one of the things you can do is make sure that you have uh, people cross-trained. Maybe you have certain people, maybe certain service technicians, for example, that are cross-trained that can come in and run sales leads full-time for June, July, and August or whatever. And then in September, you put them back in the service department. The bottom line is you got to have a plan, right? And again, if you want some ideas on a plan, feel free to shoot me an email and we can discuss your particular situation. And I can give you some ideas on what you need to be doing in order to prepare for that summertime selling season without watching revenue per lead decrease. Because every situation is a little different and I'm happy to help in any way I can. Again, my email is weldon at weldonlong.com. It's not rocket science. So cross-train some managers and some technicians, make sure they can uh, pinch in a few leads that they need to. And then of course, you know, there's always the, the, the possibility of hiring new people, uh, but you just gotta make sure you're not over-hiring so that you get to September and now you got too many salespeople that, that nobody has enough leads, right? Which is the opposite problem. So that's number one, right? You have to make sure that your folks are not running too many leads. It's a number one mistake I see in the summertime. People run too many leads and their revenue per lead dwindles. So it feels like we're doing better and we are doing a little better, but we're not really maximizing the opportunity if we're just running more leads to generate a little bit more revenue. If I'm running 50% more leads, I want to generate 50% more revenue. I don't want to run 50% more leads to only generate 20% more revenue, right? That's not efficiency in business. That's waste. That's excess, right? That's not good planning. It's not good execution. It's just, it's just, it's just bad all the way around. So that's number one. The second thing I want to talk to you about that often happens also as a consequence of being too busy is that we find that our comfort advisors they tend to skip important parts of the sales process. Now, think about this for a second. It's only natural we get really busy and we have a system that works and we get too busy and we're not using the system. And I will tell you, I had a sales meeting at my company yesterday morning, Monday morning, and we had this exact conversation with my team because I had a couple of guys whose, whose close rate was really dipping down. And the reason it was dipping down is because they were getting away from some of the fundamentals. And I wanna to talk to you about some of those fundamentals. And if we're going to cut corners on a lead because we're busy, the deadly sin is to cut out the heart of the sales process. There may be things you have to do more quickly, but there are certain things you cannot rush. And one of those is building a relationship, right? Relationships are organic, right? Relationships happen uh, at their own pace, right? You can't just like, uh, Dr. Covey, who was a mentor of mine, Stephen Covey, that wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he used to say, you cannot be efficient with people. You can only be effective with people. And so you cannot rush the, the relationship process, which is so important. Well, what happens if people start getting really busy? They run in the house, they go straight to the air conditioner, they start putting a proposal together, and they completely bypass the entire fundamental of relationship building. You have to stay around long enough in the process so that you can grow the relationship. And again, the relationship is organic right? Uh, relationship building is like growing corn. You can't get out there and start screaming at your corn to grow faster. It's, an, it, it, it's, it's a natural process. It's an organic process. So we have to make sure we're, we're still 
spending enough time in the home to build that relationship. And one of the things I often say is you can sell an $8,000 system very, very quickly. You cannot sell a fifteen dollars or $20,000 system quickly. It takes time. And so obviously we're talking about guys in the first deadly sin running too many leads. This is a big part of the problem. Besides their revenue per lead going down, it's going down because they're not building relationships because we're not giving them time. So we have to make sure and remind our sales team that even if, you know, maybe normally they spend two hours or two and a half hours in a home. And so maybe in the summertime, it's going to be 90 minutes. They have to make sure they're still dedicating significant time, quality time towards building that relationship because people buy from people they like, right? By the way, the flip side of that is people also buy from people who like them. In the, in the sales training that I teach for EGIA, we talk a lot about getting people to like you, but you also got to let them know that you like them. People buy from people they like, but people also buy from people who like them. So as an example, one of the important things in a sales process is asking advice from your homeowner about whatever they're interested in. If they have a Harley-Davidson, if they got a boat, if you see hunting type stuff around the house or fishing, ask their advice about fishing, hunting, Harley-Davidson's, whatever. Because who do you ask advice from? People that you like and trust. So if I ask my homeowner, hey, Mr. Homeowner, I see you're big into fishing. I've never been really into fishing. And how would I learn to get into that? What should I, you know, what would be the first step? People will respond to that because they feel proud, right? They feel empowered. Like, wow, this person's asking my advice. You're sending a very strong message that you like them. So when you're talking to your homeowners and getting them to like you, don't forget that they you got to like them too. And they got to know it. That takes time, right? So the second deadly sin is that we're skipping important parts of the process. The first one, we're running too many leads. What's the consequence of that? Well, we're skipping important parts of the sales process. Relationship building is one of those. Let me give you a couple more examples. When you go through our core training on the EGI site, you're going to find out my sales system, which again is based on this Amazon number one bestseller right here, Consistency Selling. And I don't have time to get into the whole program right now, but again, if you'll have access to the, to the, uh, to the content from David here in just a few minutes. But one of the things you have to remember is that the, the core process, it requires of us that we deal with objections before they come up. So about 100 times out of 100, when you walk into a house, your homeowner is going to want to know if they can get a cheaper price. They got to get three bids. They got to think about it. And so what I teach, and again, when you go through the core training on the EGI Contract University site, you'll, you'll see this. I teach people how to, to deal with those objections proactively, right? You deal with them before they happen. The, the model I use is what I call the sales hallway. And if you imagine you and your homeowner, you're standing at the front of this hallway, and there's a long hallway, and at the end of that hallway is a door. And metaphorically, if you get the homeowner through that last door, you earn the business, right? The deal's on the other side of that door. The challenge is there's also doors along the side of the hallway that are escape routes for your homeowner. And so as you're walking down that hallway, your homeowner might not be excited about being in the sales process because it probably means they're going to spend money. Maybe their system has failed. They're not in the best moods. So a lot of times what happens as you're walking down that hallway, your homeowner will have about a gazillion questions, questions about your company, questions about efficiency, questions about insulation, and most importantly, in their mind at least, questions about the money, right? How much will it cost? And then what happens is that when your homeowner gets that final piece of information, how much it costs, they want to do the most natural thing in the world, which is to postpone the pain of spending money. And so they escape out these, these escape routes on the side of the hallway. So what I teach is a process of consistency selling that we are closing those doors as we walk by them. 
So when we get down to the end, the doors are all closed off, right? They're hermetically sealed or locked, they're welded shut, whatever. And we do that by dealing with the homeowner's objections before they bring them up. I want to give you a couple of examples because if you're going to skip anything in the busy season, right, which of course is a deadly sin, you cannot skip the relationship building and these two questions I'm fixing to talk about, right? Remember, the number one sin is running too many leads. The number two sin is skipping everything in the process. You cannot skip relationship building and these two questions. The first question is a question that I ask my homeowners to eliminate the I want a cheaper price objection. Unfortunately, many of us in this industry, many people in sales, uh, as I mentioned, I teach sales in every industry you can imagine, from shipping to banking to insurance, transportation, you name it. Uh, most, most of what I learned, as I, as I mentioned, came from this industry. But in sales, what we do is we kind of get down to the end of the sales process, and then the homeowner starts raising objections, and we spit back whatever rebuttals. Then they come back with objection, rebuttal, objection, rebuttal, objection. Next thing you know, it's like, you know, Serena and Venus Williams playing tennis match, back and forth and back and forth. And if you've ever been in that situation, and my guess is you probably have been, right? It's a very, very conflicted situation. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of tension. It's not really good for the sales process. So what I've done over my 20 years of teaching this stuff is develop the consistency selling system, which allows us to deal with those objections before the homeowner brings them up and before things are really stressful on the sales call. So as an example, fairly early on in the process, I'm going to have a conversation with my homeowner about price. I'm going to bring it up. Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, I'm sure in making this decision about buying a new system, price is going to be you know, one of the factors that you that you base this decision on. Oh, yeah, we got to have a good price. Well, I'd like to talk to you about that. I'd like to share some information with you. And you'll see in the core training, I use some information from Department of Energy and some information from Consumer Reports. It's two articles. And I share those articles with the homeowner. And basically, those articles say that the most important thing in making this HVAC decision is hiring the right contractor, making sure you get a load calc and those types of things. So I share those articles with my homeowner and I say, here's what Department of Energy, here's what Consumer Reports has to say. And after they read that, we talk about that information. I simply say, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, do you agree or disagree with Consumer Reports and Department of Energy that there are a variety of factors that are as important, perhaps even more important than a cheap price? Well, they just read it. Not for me. They read it from Department of Energy, Consumer Reports, right? And so they really don't have any any option but to say, well, yeah, we just read it. There's a lot of factors other than price that are important. And here's the crazy thing. Your homeowners know this down deep. I mean, they, they're not idiots. They've bought things in their home before. Everybody knows there's a price to go, a price to pay for going cheap. So deep down, they know that it makes very little sense to buy the cheapest you know, HVAC system you can. We're talking about gas and electricity and things that go boom in the night. It doesn't make a lot of sense to buy the cheapest. And they know that, but they'll tell you that because they're hoping they'll get your great quality at the cheap guy's price. Well, you can't let that happen. You have to force them to acknowledge the reality that it doesn't make sense to buy the cheapest system. I mean, if you look around at your homeowners, I promise you, they're not buying the cheapest of anything. They don't have the cheapest car available. They don't have the cheapest shoes available. They don't have the cheapest groceries available. But for some reason, they want you to think in this very important decision, the infrastructure of their home they're going to buy the cheapest system they can. It's ridiculous. It's not going to happen. So they simply play this game because they we're allowing them to participate in this fantasy, this Santa Claus tooth fairy notion 
that somehow they're going to get a fantastic system at a cheap price. And we let them get away with that because we're afraid to bring it up. Well, you can't be afraid to bring these things up. You got to have the courage of conviction. You got to know that your systems are worth every dime that you're charging and your company is worth every dime that you're charging because you stand behind your work. You hire and train the right people. You have to go on there with the courage of conviction and have these conversations proactively. And here, I'll show you why it's so important. So let's say, for example, I go in and I, I show mom and pop homeowner, I show them the consumer reports, I show them all the uh, Department of Energy stuff. And I say, Mr. Homeowner, Ms. Homeowner, do you agree or disagree with consumer reports that finding a trustworthy contractor and proper sizing of the system is as important, perhaps even more important than cheap price? They, have, they always say, well, yeah, we just read it. You know, well, that, that's really important because I want you to fast forward an hour later. And let's say I'm at the end of the sales process. And my homeowner says to me, oh, I love your company, but, you know, you're, you're a thousand bucks higher than the other guy or two thousand bucks higher. Well, I can use what I call the three most powerful words in sales earlier. You said, well, Mr. Homeowner, earlier you said that you agreed that there were other factors more important than a cheap price. Right. The installation, the load calc, all the things that we do. Has that changed in our time together? And they'll say, well, geez, no, no, it's changed. It's just a lot of money. And then I just ask for the order again. I say, yeah, no, I understand it's a big decision. But with your permission, what do you say? We start the paperwork. I didn't overcome their objection. I just reminded them of what they said an hour ago about a cheap price. Now, if I skip that part of the conversation, which, by the way, takes all of about two or three minutes. So don't give me this, this, this story about you don't have time because you have time, right? It takes two or three minutes to share the articles and ask that question. If I don't do that, what do I say at the end when they say, well, you're too expensive? Well, golly gee, I'm worth it. You know, whatever. You, you, start, you start having to argue with them. The way I teach it, you don't argue with them. You just remind them what they said earlier. Earlier, you said that price wasn't the most important factor. Did that change? Well, geez, no, but it's just a lot of money. I get it. It's a huge decision. But with your permission, let's start the paperwork, right? I don't have to answer their question. They answer it for themselves. But again, getting back to the whole deadly sin here, the deadly sin is that we skip parts of the process specifically the relationship building, that question, and one more I'm fixed to tell you about, that's the second deadly sin, skipping critical parts of the sales process because we think we're too busy. I had a guy tell me yesterday, one of my guys, God bless him, he's great, he's just strong, strong sales professional. But he's telling me, man, I feel like I'm so busy and it's, it's, it's October or it's, it's summertime and I'm so busy and, I'm, and I went back and I pulled his leads we, he'd worked 10 days so far as of yesterday, right? Two full weeks after 4th of July weekend. And he ran 18 leads. I said, you're running 1.8 leads a day. If you're, if you're that busy, it's because you're going back to see your all people twice. I don't have time to get into that. But if you see everybody you see twice, in other words, you're going back to see everybody, you're not doing a one-call close, you're going back to see everybody twice, guess what? You're going to be twice as busy. <laughs> so part of eliminating that is getting better at the one-call close. Not that you can do it every time. There's plenty of times where we do need to go back a second time. So, but we got to minimize that. Awesome content right there as always. Now be sure to share this on Facebook. And if you're not a member, I want you to click the button below to get a 30 day free trial, which will give you access to all of our amazing content. Well, that's it for this week. We'll see you next time. And until then, my friends, bye-bye for now.